This is the Business Storytelling Show, a top global marketing podcast listened to in more than 100 countries, live streamed on social media, and broadcast on DBTV. Christoph Trapp chats with industry leaders to help your company tell better business stories. Here's today's episode. Let's go. That's right. Hey, business storytellers, how's it going? Thanks for joining me today. We have a controversial topic, and I'm kind of saying that with a little bit of a smirk because you know when people say that on social, this is a controversial topic. This is uh, unpopular or whatever. And most of the time when they say crap like that, it's not unpopular at all. It's like, I don't know why they do it. But I got a feeling today's topic will be slightly controversial because we're going to talk about gated content. And I have some opinions to begin with when it comes to gated content. If you decide to gauge your content, knock it off with those stupid two and three column PDFs. I'm on an iPad Pro and they suck to read on there. Unbelievable. Like, I don't know what's wrong with people that do shouldn't be so strong about it. Let's just think about it. How can people read your content if you're going to gate it? But should you gate it at all? I had a fun conversation with the Mike Wolbert on um, Twitter. He's the CRO, Chief Revenue Officer, maybe our first Chief Revenue Officer officer on here. I don't, I don't know. Seems to me typically we're more on the marketing titles uh, side of things. Um, but he said maybe you shouldn't gate your content at all. Maybe you should think about doing different things. So we'll see if that's a popular opinion or unpopular. We'll get him out of the green room here. Mike, welcome to the show. It's good to see you in real life, so to speak. Hey, yeah, thank you a ton for having me on today, Christoph. And uh, it's always great to connect with someone virtually. Uh, excited to be on today. Yeah, we're definitely not traveling anywhere to record podcasts. Um, and I, I don't know that we actually need to. Um, so tell me about gated content. Why should people not gate it? Then it's not gated content anymore. But what's what are your thoughts on that issue? Yeah, it it's interesting. And I mean, you talked about controversial and you know maybe this is something that people will disagree with or something that many will agree with and in my role as a chief revenue officer i'm responsible for revenue growth through sales account management and marketing and as a big part of that i'm always thinking about the customer experience not just the sales strategy and the marketing strategy and i consume content all the time just like we all do whether you're on social or email or whatever the medium might be and it's funny because oftentimes I want the ebook or I want that tips and trick or I want that framework, especially when that catchy headline says free. And I know it's catered to my persona, my uh, expectations, my role, my challenges. I click on that form and then I'm asked for, you know, three fields and I know I'm going to be followed up with an SDR and I'm not I'm not interested in buying anything right now. I might be in time and your brand could certainly help open up opportunity for me to look at you as an authority, as a thought leader, whatever that kind of thing might be. But I think it's it's just something that's an overused tactic in marketing. I think there are times where it makes sense to gate, but to always default to that as your your kind of marquee strategy, I just think that's a, a, an archaic tactic in the modern day of, of buying and the modern day of consuming content. Marquee strategy. Oh my goodness. Do people, people do, I know people do it, but I was just like, oh my God, 
that should not be your top strategy. And you know what? Jennifer, Jen Vogel, VP of Marketing of Oxpop, me, my day job, she says, there's so many different ways to get people's email address. Do I really need a, a white paper that nobody's going to read anyways? I, I don't know. I kind of agree with her too, honestly. There, there totally are. I mean, if if like, let's look at our world. Like we we both have a podcast that we do as, as part of our work or, or part of a side kind of hustle or whatever. And, you know, let's say you're doing a, a guide on podcast and how, how, to, how to start your own podcast. Why gate that? Like that's such a, an easy way to get attention to your brand, your, your personal brand, your company, whatever that might be. And why not have a call to action in there for someone who wants to stay updated with, with updates to the guide going forward, drop your email below and, and join our newsletter or something like that. You'll get such a higher quality you know, lead there or someone that at least is expressing innate interest in participating in your content ongoing versus someone who's filling it out just to get the book, just to get the guide. They're not going to take the call. They're not going to be interested. If anything, they're going to be disappointed. I just think with the buyer having as much control as they have today, why force them into a sales cycle? And that's ultimately what happens with gated content. Well, and I don't mind being in the sales cycle if I'm ready to buy, but you know, I mean, there is there's such a thing of just like pushing me away. There was a company who actually funnily, funnily, I guess, is selling email lists, and I was going to go with them. And you know why I didn't? Because they didn't give me the time to think about it. Like we were literally on the call, and the next day they called, and then the next week they called, and then the next, like it was nonstop. It was like a bad date with a stalker. Do you know what I mean? I mean, so there is a fine line. <laughs> well, and I, I mean, I, the title of my personal podcast is Modern Multifamily. Uh, and I won't talk about that, but I do think that modern is something that we should all be thinking about. How can we modernize our approach, whether that's to sales or to marketing or to CX in the client experience world? And I think in the modern day of content consumption, of education being the epitome of at your fingertips for anyone looking to do absolutely anything in this day and age, I think there are more modern ways to earn the trust of future customers, to turn customers into advocates, and to use content to be wanting of to being one of your marquee advantages. And I think there are just things that still happen. I mean, even a customer, if I'm a current customer trying to get access to your content and you're still gating it, it's like, what an awful experience for that customer and what an opportunity to make sure that you're serving people, delighting them, and hopefully earning, you know, mindshare to one, one day for the right people, be able to open up those sales and buying type discussions. Well, let me get back to that in a minute, but before we do that, really quickly, in case you guys are wondering how I make us look so good, that's all done with switcherstudio.com. Live stream with them. Trap One gets you one month off. Love it, love it, love it. I'm doing it all on my iPad right down here. Seems like I'm kind of breaking up today. I don't know if that's me or the internet or what, but it's definitely not Switcher Studio because it's a fantastic software. So I know I said I was going to get back to this, but um, now I forgot what I was going to say. The um, it is an interesting discussion, though, um, when you think about where are current people coming from, current customers, and drives me crazy. So I'll give you an example. I get a company's newsletter, and I click on something. I'm literally saying, "This is good stuff. I wanted to learn more." 
And what's the first thing I get on the website? A pop-up to sign up for that same stupid newsletter I just came from. How is that still happening in 2021? I mean, I, I don't get it, but but it's kind of the same thing what you just said, right? Why do I have to give my email? You already know me. Just give me the just give me the white paper if you insist on giving out white papers. Uh, and I, I mean, I think there there's a natural obsession with measurement. We all have a boss. We all have an investor. We all have someone we're accountable to. And I think at the end of the day, you know, results and data is what a lot of people end up wanting. They want to understand if the results are there. And if they're not, they want to see the data to understand when the results will be there. And I think in marketing, you know, whether you talk about that very traditional marketing funnel that we've been talking about for way too long, uh, or just mapping your content to an ideal buyer journey, I think it's one of those things that we need to be intentional as marketers and as, as revenue folks in the industry to make sure that as we're mapping content into our funnel, that you know, some of that content that truly exists to create brand awareness, that truly create just that top of funnel, we're here, we're smart, we're, we, we'd love to help, and we are an educator, that, that is the content that the bare, bare basics to me should not be gated because those, those non-buying decisions, but those opportunities to get people to think about you as an authority in the space, whatever that space might be, we're all focused on an industry or vertical or both, that's where I think we we oftentimes deter what could be a future customer's great interest in our business by that tactic, just to want to get a lead, just to want to get a click, just to want to get insight into how many people downloaded something. And I think that's where there's 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 a better way to do it. Well, I am a big believer in measuring everything I can measure. Honestly, I mean, I was just in the in um, Uber Suggest this morning looking for some updates on what's ranking, what's not ranking, what went up, what went down, and and whatnot. But measuring downloads of white papers, which, by the way, is a horrible name for any content. I don't want any paper. I don't have any paper in this office anymore, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah. Did I lose you? But your headline was great, and now people downloaded it, and now they were disappointed. How are you measuring the disappointment when they read that horrible piece of content, but they love the headline? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, how is any of this, like, it's not linear anyways. I, I totally agree. And I mean, I, I think in general, when you start thinking about marketing to the modern buyer, the modern um, decision maker, the, the the modern influencer. I think it's important that we all think about, you know, how we like to consume content, how we like to interact with brands, how we like to interact with um, consuming educational material, and how we spend our time on social and and at work on email or Slack or whatever that might be. And I, I think that's where, as marketers, being comfortable with maybe doing things that are difficult to measure. I think that opens up an interesting area to be a little bit more progressive, a little bit more at the front, but also meeting people where they are. And, and I think that's where, you know, things like podcasts and things like branded swag, which I know we've talked about in the past on, on Twitter, those kinds of things, if done right, can have a, a material impact on your business 
a material impact on the perception that you personally or your company's brand reflects and the mind share that you occupy in the industry. And yeah, those things are a little bit more difficult to measure in terms of the impact they might have on your your pipeline or, or your, your funnel. But at the same time, we're seeing the dividends as leaders. And I feel like embracing that a diversified strategy some of which is more difficult to measure, can open up a competitive advantage for a business or a personal brand. Mm-hmm. So I go back and forth on SWAC, quite frankly, and I don't, I don't remember what my opinion was at that time when I was talking to you about it. I mean, we had Katie, I think it's Katie Burnett at Lessonly. She was on the show and she runs their whole um, SWAC program. And I, so it's so difficult for me to get this framing right, right? I got this physical backdrop. I want the mic in the shot. I'm not a small guy, but I can't figure out how to keep my swag in the shot. So take a look. Like, oh, it's over here, actually, right? Business Storytelling Podcast. I actually have swag you guys can buy on Amazon. And um, so I believe in it. I mean, when it looks good, sometimes when it's just crap, I don't necessarily want it. Um, So here's Holly Wolf. She's on LinkedIn. And Holly says, the reward has to be worth it. Promise me that you won't badger me. Promise me that you'll take a no. If I just found your content interesting, but I'm not interesting by it, ask me what I liked that made me download. What do you think of that? I think it's smart. And I I think when Holly brings that type of thing up, I think that's where if you're going to get your content. I think you need to make make it clear to, you know, the the consumer your intentions. And I think that's where it's there's an opportunity again to be a little bit more modern, a little bit more progressive, a lot more buyer centric to to create a remarkable experience for customers, future customers and for just someone who's there to consume alike. And I think that's where rather than having that sort of set it and forget it strategy where you default to getting someone in a 12 sequenced SDR approach, there is a better way to do it. And Holly's spot on there. I, I couldn't agree more. It's just interesting. I mean, is it, do you think it's because um, our goals are too hard to reach or, I mean, is it, so it's kind of like when I'm thinking about losing weight, which is like an ongoing thing for me, quite frankly. I go into my fitness um, pal app, right? And basically, I set it to lose 0.5 pounds a week, lose two pounds a week. And then I wonder, oh, my goodness, that's like not a lot of calories, right? But is that one reason because we need to get to that certain level of names quickly? Or why? why is that happening? Why is it a thing that marketers are so intent on keep doing it. And I mean, do you agree? They are intent on doing it because I see them all, all over the place. Uh, I, I think, you know, there's what gets, what gets measured gets done. And I think Mm -hmm. there's, I think there is a, a, maybe a little bit um, ancient at this time or a little bit archaic kind of approach in business that says we need to see ROI on everything. And I think that that's probably a big driver of this. I mean, how many MQLs did the marketing team generate this month? That's still a question that a modern marketer might be getting from their boss, a a CEO, a CMO, whoever that might be. And I I think if you look at Lessonly as an example, I think they've got a phenomenal marketing program. I'm, I'm part of that swag, you know, 
I experienced my kids wear the llama and I'm currently in a buying cycle with Weston Lee because they've done a phenomenal job of creating a brand that I'm interested in. And I know nothing about the tech still, but they've marketed correctly. And a lot of the things they've done have been difficult to measure. And one of the things that they do that's smart in my mind is directly looking at revenue and pipeline that is directly impacted to revenue. Uh, so their numbers are a little bit more impactful there. And so I think there are just things that, yes, to answer your question, Christoph, I know I'm word barfing. I think there still is a defense mechanism of having all of these vanity metrics and marketing. And at the end of the day, I think that we're all better off doing the math and let the math telling us what to do. Look at your current Salesforce, look at your current marketing. How many leads do you need to, to hit your number? And how many sales reps do you need? How much quota do you need? And I think we can all be more prescriptive. And a marketing strategy should be wide, but it should also be predictable. And I think rather than how you used to do business, think about how you should be doing business and come up with the right approach. The other thing I do want to mention quickly, I'm a big believer in on ROE, return on effort. And that, of course, is also a cost. I'll give you an example. If I'm spending, you know, 16 hours working on something, there's a cost, right? Whether it's a hard cost that's in addition to what we're already paying or whatever, but there is a cost, right? Because I get paid for the time. So you want to think about that too. And what I found is, I mean, think about the live stream we're doing. We didn't meet ahead of time. We had a couple Twitter conversations, right? And now we're going live for 27 minutes. The whole, and I, may, I don't know, maybe you were, some people come on here and they prepare for hours at a time. I don't know if you're in that camp, but, no. you know, so it's like a 45 minute investment and in how many people are, are watching and listening? I don't know, but it's a good chunk, right? So the return on effort on live streaming and podcasting, in my opinion, is really, really high. Now, on a white paper, if I'm spending, I don't know, let's say 30 hours producing a white paper that has four signups, four downloads. Now, granted, if they're all highly qualified um, buyers, maybe then it's worth it. But how often does that happen with those kind of numbers? Um, their return on effort isn't there at all, in my opinion, when you when you do that, unless you spend a ton of money driving people there, too. I, I mean, you're spot on. And I, I think that you look at, you know, the content that gets consumed in this day and age. Sure, people download PDFs still, those white papers, those ebooks. Sure, people are on social scrolling and, and consuming content that way. I mean, personally, I watch a lot of YouTube content when I'm interested in something. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Like, that's my personal consumption preference. And I know those two mediums or those two channels are also high effort. I think I know it's a lot of effort to go create a brand and to publish and to produce and to edit across those two areas. But I also believe that the ROE to your your acronym there, Christoph, is incredibly high. I mean, you create one podcast and your marketing team can splice that into social content, into video content, into graphic content. That can be a, a, a month's worth of your content strategy. But I think because it's difficult, whether it's because you have to get uncomfortable, you know, being on camera or or listening to yourself or any of those kinds of things, I do think there's an easy button that people still prefer to push oftentimes. And I, I think that's where, you know, gating content and some of these, these strategies that 
can maybe be a cog, but not an entire part of your strategy are still out there because they're easier to set it, forget it, and just kind of get on the hamster wheel. Well, but set it and forget it is not a strategy at all anymore. And I just listened to actually um, a webinar, believe it or not, earlier. And um, one of the speakers actually said that. She says, you can't just forget and um, set and forget anything. Ruta Sudmantidi, I don't know if the, I have no idea if that's how you pronounce it. Uh, she's a chief marketing nerd based in the United Kingdom. So, okay, we spent enough time telling people what not to do. So what should they be doing instead? I mean, some of, I mean, should they just not gate content and make it readable on the, I mean, that is seriously my biggest problem when I get white papers, PDFs, they're not even readable. And I got a huge iPad pro. Do you know what I mean? I like, do. So what, what should people do instead? Like what's the, what's the right strategy? Uh, if you think about it as a piggy bank, it's the kind of age old discussion or analogy of finding a balance between deposits and withdrawals. When you make a withdrawal from someone's bank, you surely should have given something up front first. And I think in marketing, we should have a give, give, take approach and look for opportunities to engage with the person who wanted to consume your content in a way that is impactful. And it, it kind of goes to what you talked about with Holly. If you're doing a, an awareness campaign and let's say you're in the marketing category and, and you do SEO and pay-per-click and you have a guide on you know, five tips to optimize your organic SEO traffic in 2021, that could get a lot of traffic if it was targeted correctly. And gating it might impact the traffic by a little bit. But instead of gating that content, why not have a little video uh, that you post on social to share why you think your persona should go ahead and, and click into that and, and download it. And at the end of the download experience, why not have an opportunity to either ask them for feedback, to sign up if they want to hear about content that fits into the same track going forward, or three, because we know marketers love to talk about strategy, let them know that you'd love to partner with them on a future piece of content. And all of a sudden, you've opened up multiple ways to engage with someone. And if they're interested, they will. They will participate there. And I think that's where the trust and confidence to do something after the fact, not at the beginning of that experience, can totally flip the script. It becomes a total deposit because you're giving them content and asking them how they can collaborate with you. I think there's an opportunity there to turn that consumer into an advocate before they've ever purchased anything from you. And I mean, when I download something, I mean, I'm a marketer, so I'm not naive. I know that somebody's going to call me in five yeah. seconds, but like, wouldn't it be better anyways to have, instead of just having, you know, having that model, why don't you just have the model of, you know, fill out the form if you want to talk to us about the product or whatever. So for example, I mean, we had the um, the chief marketing officer over at um, Lead Forensics on, and her belief is anybody, anytime somebody fills out a form, you have to call in 10 minutes, get on it sales team. And basically I didn't mind the call because I literally signed up to be called. Yep. So and it depends I think on that's the- where 
and set the expectation. I mean, you said it, Christoph. Holly said it too. I think that that is where it's just there is a, a better way to do it, even if you give an opt-out at that form, you know, like you just said. Skip now if you just want to download and, you know, fill out your name and email if you want to want to hear from us about products and how we can help organizations like yourself do X, Y, or Z. And I think that's where you set a good expectation. And you also win. The data won't lie. I mean, that, there will be a better answer rate. There will be a better trajectory in the pipeline. And you'll also still be being buyer-centric with the people that weren't interested in buying that still got to participate in your content. And let's hope that they come back and that content met their expectations, hopefully exceeded it. And how long, so Joe Polizzi, when he was on the show the other day, um, talking about his second edition Content Inc. book, uh, which is a fantastic book, in my opinion, uh, said, content takes time. So if people come to me and they say, I have six months, don't even talk to me. And I'm like, why do they only have six months anyways? Set some realistic deadlines, seriously. So, but but how long does all this take? I mean, are you the believer that you can do it quickly or does it take longer? And, and what are those timelines? I think it takes time to change people's opinion internally. If you're looking to remove the default to gating content and make a shift, I think you have to have a hypothesis and you've got to have a timeline in which you're going to go demonstrate that the new way can still be impactful, maybe even more impactful. And I think there are other ways to get to metrics and measurements so you can still demonstrate that it's working. Hey, we're going to double our LinkedIn followers and we're not going to look to drive just signups for this newsletter or for our pipeline, but we're going to go become a thought leader and authority in our space by publishing content, but also repurposing content. And I think a lot of us can probably go back to last year's white papers and eBooks and repurpose them to still be relevant today. And oftentimes we're just churning out new content versus looking back at what was most used in 2020, repurposing it and then leveraging it again this year. And all of a sudden you can go faster, go further and still make an impact. But I mean, it, it does take time to your point. I think the repurposing, I'm actually currently spending my week uh, repurposing a lot of old content, deciding what should go, what should stay and what needs to be updated. And it's kind of fun, but it doesn't come naturally to anybody that grew up in journalism, because what do journalists do? They create new stuff. What do marketers do? They create new stuff. I mean, even a decade ago, right? We had new campaigns. Uh, we didn't have updated campaigns. We had new campaigns. So something to keep in mind, you can connect with the Mike Wolber on Twitter. Check out his podcast, Modern Multifamily, available on all the major networks. Mike, it was great to connect with you. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing your insights. Hey, thanks a ton for having me, Christoph. Take care. You bet. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review The Business Storytelling Show on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. See you then. Thank you.